Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. We are continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, going verse by verse and drawing out the goodness of God's Word as we go. And today we will be reading verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3. As I said last week, there's a lot of good stuff in here that we can't rush. And we're only covering a few verses at a time right now, but there's such profound truths that Solomon is stating in very few words that it's it's so great it really is and we like I said we can't rush this um, as much as I wanted to finish the chapter out this week I couldn't get over these two verses and so without further further ado let's read the text and go verse by verse Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And when we, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when it says, I perceived, the Septuagint renders that in terms of knowing. Uh, deriv- a, a derivative of the word gnoskos, which means I know. So when we read perceived, it's likely that what Solomon is communicating is, is more in line with knowledge than perception. And so after looking at man's woes, as we did last week, Solomon directs our eyes to a bigger picture. And he draws us to zoom out the focus a little bit. Whatever God does endures forever. Ponder the gravity of that for a moment. Whatever God does endures forever. Solomon said a similar thing in Ecclesiastes 1. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. What God does is eternal, says the Anchor Yell translation. Solomon fleshes this out in the rest of the line. Nothing can be added or taken from it. That which has been and that which is to be has been. There is nothing new under the sun. God is sovereign and in control of his creation. Psalm 33.10, it says, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. 
the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God, or boss, Elohim, whose governor is Yahweh, the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Proverbs 19.21 There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The reality is, says Solomon, that what God does is enduring. It lasts, even when we don't. And I have to preface that because there are things that don't seem temporary. Death is a thing. Um, illness is a thing, but cancer is not forever. But the reality is that the purpose for those things is bigger than the moment. That what happens in the midst of cancer has eternal weight. The reality of death points us to eternity, to an eternal principle. The reality of God's eternality is both comforting and unsettling. It's comforting when we recognize that God is in control, that we are held in the palm of his hand, but it is also unsettling when we desire to be the one in control. And I believe this is the side of it that Solomon is um, referring to in this passage. We've been talking about toil and work and some of these things and how it's not permanent, that we are vapor, literally hevel, vapor, smoke. And I believe that Solomon is invoking the other side of that coin, that it's unsettling because we are not God. Isaiah 42 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. There is no other recipient of that glory which belongs to God, even among us, his final creations. There is no glory to be shared. And sometimes that is not something we relish. Sometimes we want the glory, we want the recognition, we want the status. You know, Nelson Mandela um, took this poem and held it to his bosom when he was in prison, I am the captain of my soul. And we, we, we cling to those kinds of statements that I'm the boss, I am the, the hero of my own life story. We throw out all these cliches, but at the end of the day, we're not. If I'm the captain of my soul, then my soul's the Titanic. I do not have it all together. I do not have all the answers. I am not solely independent. But God has something among, he has many things, but one thing that God has that I don't is something we call aseity, which is a fancy word, but it literally means God has everything he needs in himself. is in Acts 17 that he does not live in temples made by human hands nor is he served as though he needeth anything God has all he needs within himself he doesn't need us on that level his glory he will not share because he has true independence and so why do we come to God because we need God. The reality is our existence is tied to his. 
but his is not tied to ours. In him we live, move, and have our being. It's also Acts 17. The reality is that we are not God, but we are still held in the palm of his hand. Charles Bridges comments, the work of God is the same in every age. The scene seems to be acting over again. And perhaps the most profound work of God that ensures forever, that endures forever, is the work of redemption through the person and the deeds of Christ. And to that I turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, and the days of your life, all the days of your life. I will put enmity, which is a strong word for hostility, for strife. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in systematic theology, that is often this passage is often described as the Proto-Evangelion, which is Greek for the first gospel promise. The first gospel, the first good news. This is the first promise of the gospel. That Christ will have be victorious over the serpent, that he shall bruise his head, that he shall crush the head of the serpent. James Montgomery Boyce comments on this verse, this is the answer to those ignorant readers of Genesis who imagine the Bible to be in error here, because as they point out, snakes do not actually eat dust. To eat dust is to know defeat, and that is God's prophetic judgment upon the enemy. He will always reach for his desires and fall just short of them. There will be continuous aspiration, but never any attainment. The serpent um, characterizes the enemy and his attempts to take the glory of God, to share that glory that is only to God's, to take it. He wants the status. He wants the title. And oftentimes, we have a tendency to take that same posture to God. And the example of the serpent is on some levels applicable to this text in Ecclesiastes. When we take that same view, that I should have the glory, I should have this. And we might see God as the holder of the glory we want. But God is God and we are not. There is an order to the universe and we fit into that order as creation, not as creator. There is a hierarchy in, cre in creation. The creator and the creation are not on equal footing here. Beautiful text on this is Job 38. Verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And likewise, Psalm 8 considers God's creation from a different perspective. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, 
What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And it is difficult to read that passage without recognizing that all things are under the feet of Christ. That is something that is presently playing out. That first of all, this is about what is man, that God is mindful of him. But it's also promising Christ, the perfect man, under whom all things shall be subject, under subjection to. That he will have, all things will be placed under his feet, and he will make the nations his footstool. But the bottom line is, we are not God. So I perceive that nothing, that whatever God does endures forever. And the most important thing that God has done that endures forever is the person and work of Christ that wrought our redemption when we were not deserving of it. And that is something that cannot be added to or taken away from. God has done it so that people fear before him. And when we read that term fear in terms of fearing God, we're not necessarily talking about like Frankenstein and monsters and being afraid in that capacity. But we're talking about reverence for who God is, for the God that is to be taken seriously. And some commentators will liken the fear of God in the Old Testament to the phrase by faith in the New Testament. And so God has done it, says Ecclesiastes, so that people shall have faith in him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. It's done. This is settled in the heavens. What God has set out to do is already established. There is nothing new. Because God is at work, has been at work, and will always be at work. Our role as his creation is to rest in the fact that he is God, that he is the one on the throne, that he is sovereign God, to whom all the nations belong, to whom the fullness of the earth belongs. This is the God we worship. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory. Why should the heathen say, where then is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases. Their idols are not so. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Mouths have they, but they, they do not speak. They do not, they do not make sounds from their throats. Those who worship them are like them. Because we become what we worship on some levels. And so if you are worshiping something that 
doesn't actually exist, something that cannot provide, something that is fake, something that is founded on a lie. What is your life going to resemble when you worship a lie? But if you worship the God who is, the God who can and does provide for your, for your every need, the God who has been sovereignly upholding the universe since its conception, you were established in the hand of God. Not because of anything you brought to the table, not because of the value of your belief, but because God is real. This is just coming to terms with the reality of things. This is the Lord. And so I implore you today to come unto Christ, to come to God, to turn and seek the face of God, the God who is, not the God of anyone's invention, not the version of God that, that we've maybe created in our minds of what he's like, but God as he has revealed himself in scripture. Seek this God. Be reconciled to this God who has established the world. He has laid the foundations of the world. He has upheld this world by his righteous right hand. That he sustains this world when the experts tell us it should not still be here. He sustains it by his power, by his wisdom, by his decree. Come to this God to be redeemed of sin, to be redeemed of the unrighteousness that we all have so rampantly within us. The sin nature that separates us from this God from whom we derive being. Be reconciled to this God, to the personal work of Christ. Come through the narrow gate. Because there is one way by which we are saved from that unrighteousness, and that is through Christ and him crucified. So come unto Christ today and be made whole by this God who what he does endures forever, that nothing is added to it nor taken away from it. God has done all the work necessary for you to be reconciled to him so that people as you and I should fear and revere and have faith in him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Be reconciled to God today. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. 
And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.